All right, guys, Sam Mellinger here with the Kansas City Star in another episode of Mellinger Minutes for Your Ears. Really appreciate you guys tuning in. It means the world to me that you're spending your time with us like this, and I appreciate all the feedback that we've had. Jam-packed show this week, by the way. My favorite guest we've had, Therese Paler, is on, and you guys had the best week of questions in the long, okay, like five-week history of this podcast. So I'm going to try and keep this part short. I've become like sort of obsessed with the idea of repeating, of the Chiefs being able to repeat their Super Bowl championship. You know, if <laughs> if not for everything else that's going on in the world, that would be the biggest story by far that, that we'd have in these parts. And I've just kind of been obsessed with the idea that that it just doesn't happen very often. The Patriots won six Super Bowls and they only repeated once. I just and 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 it doesn't happen beyond that. I mean, um, you had the Broncos in ninety seven, ninety eight, and then the Cowboys in the, in the early nineties. Forty Niners did it in the eighties, but I mean, we're talking about what three or four times in the last thirty, forty years, and and none since New England did it in the two thousand and three, two thousand and four season. You know, Patrick Mahomes was in preschool at that time, right? Or I guess like second grade, first grade, something like that. So this is just a really rare thing. And I don't think it's just the parody of the league. I think there's a lot of other stuff that goes on. You know, football is is, is such a, all sports are like this, but I think football especially so, it takes a little bit more than sort of what's prescribed. You know what I mean? Like it, it does, I don't want to get too much into the mythology here, but um, I do believe that it takes a certain, a certain emotion, a certain, um, you know, Andy Reid actually today called it like a climb the ladder mentality. And, and once you get to the top, if you don't have that still driving you, and that was a part of how you got there, you know, that can be a hole to replace. And, and now on top of that, everybody else is looking at you as, as sort of the ladder, right? As, as the thing to, to climb up. And I just think that can be, um, that can be really taxing. You know, that can be really, really taxing. And I think that a lot of us here in Kansas City have just kind of thought, you know, the Chiefs won the Super Bowl last year. They they employ Patrick Mahomes and they bring back 20 of 22 starters and probably drafted another two or three starters, you know, in, in the draft last week. So, yeah, they, they've got a really good shot to repeat. And I do think they have a good shot, but it's going to take a lot. They, they got a lot of luck last year. And this is something that me and Therese are going to talk about a little bit later. Um, but I'll tell you why I think they have a better shot than most. I'm going to write more about this in a column that I hope you guys read, but I just wanted to get this off my chest right now since the availability was just now. But the Chiefs are, I think, well positioned to make a better run at this than other teams have. One, not just the continuity and not just the fact that in this offseason, continuity is more valued than ever. Two, they've got a quarterback who's still 24 years old. He'll turn 25 in September. And, uh, you know, he is a unicorn. He is an MVP one year and a Super Bowl champ the next year. And, and that, that is a, a tide that lifts all boats. And, and I believe in the power. You know, he's been called like a force multiplier. And I believe in that power. I believe that the guys around him work a little bit harder and believe a little bit more just because of what they know can happen with Patrick. And that, that, that's a valuable thing. And also, I think that there's something else going on here with the idea that the roster is pretty young. These aren't guys that that you think are on the the downside of their career. That matters. And I also think that, um, and again, this is a little bit of Patrick, but he is so good. 
that I don't think anybody, including and maybe especially Patrick, is going to look back on their time with the Chiefs and think that one Super Bowl championship is a success. I think the bar is higher because of how damn good he is. And I don't think Andy Reid has been a coach in this league for 20 years and listened to, you know, well, um, you're the best coach to never win a Super Bowl. I don't think he's done that for 20 years and now is going to pack it in after one. So I, I do think that on that motivation side, they've got a, a couple really key things working for them. Look, they still got to do it and they still need some luck. Um, they got a lot of luck last year. And they're going to have to be better than they were last year because they're probably not going to get as much luck as they had last year. So anyway, it's just something I've kind of been obsessed with these last few weeks or a few months. And I'm glad we got to talk to the Chiefs today. And again, there's going to be more of that in a column that should post hopefully later, later today on Friday, but certainly by the weekend and in the print edition on Sunday. So anyway, I hope you guys look for that. And, and again, I really appreciate you taking your time to listen to this. It means the world to me. It really does. So anyway, let's get, well, let's get to the questions. Hey Sam, this is Corey from Lenexa, longtime listener, first time caller. Like most sports fans, I'm watching The Last Dance. It seems to me, it's amazing to me how little coverage there seemed to be around the most popular athlete in the world. At the time, I'm sure it seemed like a media circus, but there were only a couple TV networks and just one or two beat writers per team. And Michael actually called each of them out um, during the Celtics series for, for their picks. Um, how do you think the coverage of sports then to when you started and to now have changed how fans consume sports and how athletes behave. Um, do you think the increase in coverage has been a good or bad thing for athletes and fans? I can see positive and negatives on both ends, and I'm just curious about your perspective. Thanks, and I'll listen off the air. Hey, Corey, uh, that's a really great question and really something I probably think about constantly, both professionally and personally. I probably think about this in some way most every day. You know, the, the biggest change, I think, is just the amount of information that's easily available. Um, I don't just mean with stories that you can find on your phone or whatever, but especially like in the last five, 10 years, um, the statistics and analytics and video that's available. I mean, there's just no excuse to not know something, basically. Um, you know, on the other side, there's a gradual but definite feeling of teams treating all media availability as sort of as business business decisions, you know, like most teams, um, you know, Chiefs, Royals and sporting included. I mean, they literally sell that space that shows up in press conferences behind the coach or the athlete or whoever's talking. So, um, look, your question is about whether that difference is good or bad for fans. Um, and I guess there's some of both, like, you know, more information is never bad, right? Um, you know, at least in theory, the debates you have with your friends should be better informed. I mean, you, you can watch all 22 tape on your TV right now if you want, but I do think something is lost. And, and I think that in at least two ways. So first, uh, the athletes and teams that are pulling away um, from traditional media, they're, they're making it more difficult for fans to know them in a genuine way. Um, I hope you know what I mean by that. You know, teams are putting more time and resources into telling their own stories. And some of that is great. Some of it is really, really good. But fans are smarter than ever. And they can understand propaganda when they see it, too. And, and that's what some of it is. Um, you know, second, with more coverage, and, and I do believe there's more, even with, you know, all the reductions of newspaper staffs that are talked about and, you know, honestly, often misunderstood, there's more bad coverage, right? Some of that is from people who are credentialed and probably shouldn't. Uh, but some is also from people at home trying to fake readers out, you know, that they know stuff that they don't. So, you know, if, if you're a hardcore fan, it probably doesn't take a lot to know the real from the fake. 
But, you know, people are busy too. And if the wrong glance at the wrong headline from the wrong outlet is taken the wrong way, then, I mean, nobody, I'm literally nobody wins in that situation. So, um, I don't know. I, I guess it's like this, like, it's probably a better time than ever to be a hardcore sports fan. But sometimes I wonder if the deluge of information makes it harder to feel connected as a casual fan, you know, with references you might not understand. Um, I hope that makes sense. I hope I'm articulating how I feel about that, right? So, okay, um, here's a question from Henry. Hey, Sam, Henry, Woody. I'm a 50-year subscriber to the Star and missing baseball terribly. I'm wondering if you think July 4th is a good time to start the new season. Thank you, sir. Bye. Okay, well, first, I don't mean to be flip here, but July 4th would be a great time to start, you know, only slightly worse than July 3rd, which is only slightly worse than July 2nd, and so on, you you get the point. Obviously, I understand what you're asking about here, and, um, you know, it's a good question, because I think like a week or three weeks ago or whatever, I didn't really see a logical way out. I think we talked about that here. Um, You know, that Arizona plan just never made any sense to me. It just never seemed feasible or logical. But, you know, in the last week or so, uh, I'm sensing a growing optimism. And and these things can and and have changed quickly, right? So please don't hold me to this. But this is just in the moment. You know, it seems like people in the game feel that not just a season can be played, um, but that it can be played in home stadiums, too, you know? Uh, the social distancing and all the other precautions uh, being taken seem to be working. And, you know, Kansas City Mayor Quentin Lucas, who, look, I, I think he's been terrific through all this and, and ahead of many around the country. And now he's talking about sort of a soft reopening. So that's obviously a long way from putting 40,000 people in Kauffman Stadium, right, uh, for opening day, or even <laughs> a long way from putting 12,000 people there for a Tuesday game against the Rangers or whatever. But, you know, there there does seem to be some hope. Uh, particularly around this regional plan that would align all teams into basically like three divisions, East, West, Midwest. Um, you know, the logistics of all that are too complicated to, to master here. But, you know, the and, and this needs to be underlined. I probably should have mentioned this before, but the key remains, you know, we need more plentiful tests. Those tests have to be faster and the results have to be more reliable. Um, you know, th- those are musts. And if that doesn't happen, it, it's going to be a long, long time before we have any sports, I would think. Um, but I think there is a sense that that's at least possible. And um, look, you're asking about a date specifically, and I still think July 4th is probably too optimistic. You know, baseball is going to need to see widespread effectiveness in slowing the virus's spread, right? And that's going to have to be for more than a day or two. It's going to have to be for some period of time. And then even after that, you're probably going to need to give players, I would think, a week at least to report to some form of spring training and then at least three weeks to prepare. And even that might be pushing it for starting pitchers. So um, if we take all that, that's a month between Major League Baseball deciding it's safe enough to train. Uh, it's a month between that and real games happening, which means, you know, if you're going to play by the early July, that decision needs to be made by early June. You know, and, and look, like I've said this before, and I'll keep saying it, we're all guessing here. But I don't know, it just, that kind of thing just seems a ways away when people can't go to the grocery store without masks. You know what I mean? So um, I'd love for you to be dead right on this, obviously, personally and professionally, but um, I'd also be good with baseball coming back like pretty much in any form at any point this summer or fall. Okay, I saved the the question that hit me the most is coming up last here. Hey, Sam, this is Connor calling from Lee Summit. I just had a quick question for you for your podcast. Um, I lost my grandpa this month. Uh, He passed away. And I know that, unfortunately, given the state of our world, there are 
hundreds of thousands of other families who are also losing loved ones. And so I was wondering if you had any advice or suggestions on how best to remember them and honor them and keep their legacy alive. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Yeah. Um, so I have a lot of thoughts on this, you know, probably too many for this space. And, you know, Connor, I just, I appreciate you reaching out like this. I just think this is a really cool thing that somehow developed with, you know, some idiot sports writer uh, and and people in and around or with connections to Kansas City. This is, uh, I know I say this sometimes, uh, but probably not a lot, probably not enough, but I understand that like, you know, you guys wanting to talk about this kind of thing is is just, it's a privilege and, and I hope I live up to my end of it. So anyway, the answer, look, like I, I know I've been lucky in this regard, right? Um, you know, my life has sort of been devoid of tragedy and I'm keeping that in mind, you know, the way that that I know to mourn is just fundamentally different than the way someone would mourn if they've lost a lot of friends or family at young ages. I've just, I've, I've been lucky in that regard and I understand that. But I do have some personal experience to draw in here, right? Like I think probably all of us do. You know, my mom passed away suddenly, unexpectedly three years ago. Um, three years ago in a couple of weeks actually. But, uh, you know, my father-in-law died earlier this year and, you know, both were absolutely incredible people and I miss both of them every day. And, the best way that I know through the grief is to invite it in. You know, maybe that sounds counterintuitive, but I just don't think you can hide from it. You know, I mean, I, I guess you can hide from it, but I've seen enough to believe with all my heart that hiding from it just makes it worse, uh, makes it a lot worse. So if you can get here, um, you know, to me, the turning point is being able to see that grief as a positive, you know, like, if you didn't love your grandpa, you wouldn't be sad, right? Like if I had an empty relationship with my mom, I wouldn't have felt anything, right? So, you know, the sadness we feel in those moments is sort of the, I guess, inevitable price we pay for all the good stuff. And, you know, I sure as hell wouldn't make that trade back the other way, right? So, you know, I've probably said this too many times, uh, but I heard it somewhere from somebody and just stuck that, you know, without pain, there is no joy. So, and again, this is just my experience, but once you let that big initial wave of grief pass um, and you can't rush it even though it's tempting I think but you can get back to something closer to normal like you'll, you'll always miss your grandpa um, but eventually it won't be so raw it won't be so constant you know you'll be able to better remember the good stuff with a smile instead of with tears or whatever um, and that's healthy too so um, you know the last thing that I'd mention on this is that you know you can still celebrate these relationships like Look, like my mom started this tradition where, you know, one night around Christmas, we watch The Grinch and some other movie and just like gorge ourselves on like cheese dip and wings and stuff like that. Um, it's amazing. <laughs> I'm sure it sounds amazing. And it is. So we still do that. And we toast her before the first bite. And, you know, if my sister, if I'm not with my sister over Christmas, you know, we FaceTime during that and, um, you know, send pictures or whatever. Um, you know, my mom loved the classic cup on the plaza. So we eat there on certain days. She took us to the Nutcracker every Christmas. So now me and my wife do that the same. We do the same now with, with our kids. You know, my father-in-law created this fishing trip that will live on. And, you know, the idea of renting a house on a lake in Michigan every summer. This is goofy maybe, but he had this fertilizer that apparently worked miracles. Um, so I'm going to try and figure out what kind it was so I can keep doing that. You know, um, a few months back, I made prime rib. That was his favorite thing. So, you know, you can find these ways like big and small to celebrate. Uh, and I think that's healthy and um, can leave you feeling a little bit better. Like, you know, think of what made your grandpa happiest, you know, and do it. Like, think of what he might like to see you do and do that, 
you know, um, I bet it'll make you happy too. Those memories, that's, that's the good stuff, man. So, you know, I like, I, <laughs> I did not expect a question like that. Um, but again, I'm so glad it was asked the, the best part of these things. And, you know, my favorite part of the written minutes is that it's always unpredictable. You know, it's often personal and that's how we grow. Um, I love it. So let's keep doing it. Okay, so we'll take one more break and we will come back with our guest and my dear friend, Therese Paler of Yahoo Sports. He's humoring me with this idea I had about the Chiefs. Okay. Well, no offense to any of the guests we've had so far, um, from Bill Self to Mike Matheny to Gary Woodland and everybody else, but this week is my favorite guest uh, that we've had. It's my dear friend, Therese Paler, former Chiefs beat writer for The Star, uh, now national NFL writer uh, for Yahoo Sports. Um, Therese is one of my favorite people in the world, does an incredible job professionally, but also just a really good person. It was really good talking with him and uh, good for him humoring me with this with this silly idea. The, uh, the conversation we had has been uh, edited for brevity because we went way long. So uh, anyway, I hope you guys enjoy. All right. Hey, uh, Therese, I appreciate you doing this, man. It's good to hear your voice. Oh, yeah, for sure, man. I mean, anytime, man. You know that. Yeah. All right. So so the idea, and you're, you're being nice enough to kind of humor me here, but um, the idea is, is uh, you know, let's be honest, kind of just stolen from the athletic. Um, shout out to those guys. <laughs> uh, <laughs> they've been doing a lot it's of this good stuff. Good old fashioned yeah. hijack. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so the idea is to draft reasons that the Chiefs won the Super Bowl. Uh, and I'm talking, it can be anything at all. It can be like Wasp or it can be whatever. Um, so, and we'll do a snake draft if that works with you. Yeah. And uh, you're the guest. Um, you want to go first? I will go first. I will. Right. I will take that. Even though the snake position, uh, the two and three, is very valuable. Uh, uh, I probably in my list here. But number one, a lot of times we make fun of you know owners taking a lot of credit. You know, um, you know the whole. You know, it, you know these are guys that get the Super Bowl trophy first, but they don't like do a whole lot except have a whole lot of money. But in this instance, none of this is possible without Clark Hunt going and getting his man, Andy Reid, to win a Super Bowl. And trust me, guys, I'm a, you know, I grew up in Detroit, so I know you got to have the right man at the front of the organization. And a lot of times that's the owner who sets the tone for the way the place is going to be run. And Clark Hunt going to get Andy Reid and then staying the hell out of the way. Yeah. Trust me. Listen. I've heard so many bad things about other owners in places where they don't win. Do not take it for granted that your owner is confident enough to know what he doesn't know, to go hire a good man and get the hell out the way. It's not possible without a good football man in front and an owner willing to let the good football man do his thing. So uh, that's the first reason, because without the right, without the right hire by ownership, a Super Bowl is not possible. Yeah, I hear you. I've also just thought sometimes about just the luck, and, and there's always luck involved, but just that Andy was a, like the right guy happened to be available that off season. You know what I mean? Like Andy could have got fired the year before, or the year after, um, and then they're they're doing this, trying to do it with somebody else who's probably been fired by now. Um, that's a good one. That was actually number two on my list. Um, number one is going to be uh, three years ago, um, trading up and, and drafting the unicorn quarterback. Uh, 
you know, like everybody knows, right? Like how long it had been since they'd had mm-hmm. that guy. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm kind of glad actually, it, it seems like Alex Smith is getting his proper shine. Like it, it seems like, yeah, it, I, I was, there was a time where it felt like people looked at him like it was, you know, another Matt Castle or whatever. And Alex deserves a lot of credit. Um, you know, not just for what he did with Patrick that year, but, you know, before that of being a damn good quarterback. Uh, but, you know, let's be honest, there, there was a ceiling, right? Like everything had to go perfectly. Um, or at least that's how it felt with, with Alex at the quarterback spot. And now, you know, you can get down three touchdowns in a playoff game um, mm-hmm. and, and come back with this guy. And so I get two here. So that's the first is, is drafting uh, the can best I, player in football, 10th overall can, three years ago. Can I, and, defend, uh, can I defend my choice of number one? Oh, sure, yeah. Okay, that is correct. Right, Mahomes is clearly number two in my opinion. But just remember, nine teams passed on Mahomes. Sure. One team that needed a quarterback um, <laughs> yeah. took Mitchell Trubisky instead. Right. Do not underestimate the fact that you had the right guy in place to identify the uniform quarterback in the first yeah. place. Yep. If you don't, because yep. guess what? With a different ownership group and a different man in charge, your quarterback might have been Trubisky. You might have traded up for Trubisky. Right. And then you would have missed out on Watson <laughs> and Mahomes. Right. Imagine can, that. Can you imagine the angst in the oh. town if, if they did what the Bears did in oh, that draft? Are you kidding? Oh, and, uh, you know, not, I'm, maybe I'm, I'm you know, amplifying your point here, but I've, I've always wondered, too, like Mahomes is just special, right? He's different. But I've wondered – what Deshaun Watson would be here, you know, like, yeah, the quarterback is the one that do, the players do it, but, um, you know, there's no question like the platform that, that Andy and, and his assistants, Eric Bieniemy and Matt Nagy before, you know, like just, it, it's a really good context for a quarterback. I wonder, I mean, <laughs> I, I wonder what Mitch Trubisky would look like. Uh, he'd be good. Yeah. I bet he'd, he'd be, be competent. At least. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like that's yeah. no, he'd be competent. Like here's yeah. the thing. Here's the thing we have to remember. Like, it's fun to just say, like, guys suck. Like, it's fun yeah. to say, like, ah, that guy stinks. Right. How could you ever? Here's the thing, though. Everybody that's taken in the first round has a lot of talent. Yeah. The talent's not the problem. It's the, it's the infrastructure and the coaching around these guys yeah. that determines whether or not someone's going to make it. You want to yeah. know what Mitchell Trubisky would look like here? He'd be really damn good. He'd be yeah. like Alex Smith. He'd be really so, good. Too. Probably like a higher ceiling Alex. That's how he would look. Deshaun Watson, Deshaun Watson will be a pro ball, all pro guy, just like yeah. he is now. All that said, Mahomes has the potential to be the greatest of all time. He really does, man. It's, so, it's crazy. People think I'm crazy it's when crazy. I say that. But listen, no. the six rings is not out of the question. The key to that is <laughs> right. being super, well, listen, the key to that is being superbly talented, but also uh, winning the first one really, really early in your career. You know he's not 25 yet. Right. That's insane. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, um, you know, with, with him, it's just like I remember when we were, um, uh, you know, studying those quarterbacks in that draft because you know all the all the markers pointing toward the Chiefs Pete doing this. Perez dorked them too. Yeah, I mean, it, was, it was. But like, I, I, I remember watching, you know, his college tape, and and it was like, oh my, okay, so this guy is like super talented, like incredibly talented, like that. That is just obvious. Uh, but there's got to be a problem, you know, because people are talking about him like in the second or third round at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's got to be something wrong with him. Uh, maybe he's maybe he's not very smart, you know. Mm-hmm. And and then you see him. The first the first whiff I got was like the Gruden quarterback camp, and I was like, oh my god, 
this guy's really smart too. And then, and then you hear Andy talk about you, his teammates talk about him. It's just like, I think that he's smart enough that he was just, if he was of average NFL talent for a quarterback, mm-hmm. he'd be pretty good, you know? And, and he's so talented that if he had average intelligence, he'd be really good. It's just, it's crazy, man. Um, do you want to do an entire show on Patrick Mahomes? I mean, we could. Yeah. All right. So, <laughs> my, uh, I, I hope that my, my, my second pick is not too close to your first. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, before that pick, uh, or I'm sorry, before the hire, before Clark um, hired Andy, he reorganized. You remember mm-hmm. this. And, you know, the previous, that, that was a disaster, right? We don't have to go over 2012 and, mm-hmm. and those four years or whatever, but uh, an abject disaster. And it was a disaster for a lot of reasons. But one of them was that uh, Clark wasn't really in the loop. He, he, was, he was being a good owner in, in the sense that he hired the best football man available at the time, which was Scott Pioli, and, and he stayed out of the way. But he was not, he didn't have a good feel for what was going on because he was only talking to one person. Uh, in the office, and that's the way that the Chiefs had been run forever. That's the way that his dad did it. Um, it was just it was one person, one uh, you know, one contact between everybody else in football, and the owner, and and Clark changed that. And and I thought that that took uh, some balls to do to to reorganize the entire franchise away from the way that your dad did it to you know put yourself and and he's not making football decisions, but just to make sure that there's not stuff going on that you don't know about. And and so now it's organized in a way that the GM, uh, the head coach, and Mark Donovan. Am I, am I right about that? The president also. Um, they they all report directly to Clark, and um, and I just thought that was really smart. And and it was it was sort of an update of the organization. And and that whole, you know, I think I've written this probably, um, but I, I just thought that was Clark's finest moment. Like you're, you're right, but what you said before, like it's really easy to make fun of owners and all that stuff. Um, and you know, they're not the ones calling plays or designing plays or, or making plays. Um, but they do have a lot of influence. I just thought that that whole from, it might even be New Year's Eve, whenever we were flying back after that Denver game and, you know, like that next couple of weeks where Romeo gets fired, um, you know, Scott, and then they, they bring in John and, and Andy. I just thought that was the way he did it, the way he handled it, it was Clark's finest moment. I got you. I got you. Okay. Okay. That's fair. Um, I'm going to wrap in like one of mine is like, just like my home's freakish ability given mm-hmm. this team hope, but I'm going to wrap that into like your trade up for my homes because obviously my ability, you know, that's wrapped into that. Cause like they know he's so talented. It's mm-hmm. never a reason to quit. Cause he can bring, bring you back through like yeah. you know, out of the deficit. Right. So yeah. that's kind of wrapped into that. Um, so I'm going to go with number four here, just Andy Reid's play calling and quarterback mm-hmm. development. You know, 2-3, Jet Ship Wasp is yep. legendary now. And, um, you know, all I mean, all in all, look, we've watched this guy called plays here for seven years. It's been a blast. Like, he is better than, like, almost everybody. Often. It's fun to watch. It really it's, is. Okay. And it, it's hard to imagine, um, you know, like, it's easy – he makes it easy for his quarterbacks, you know, mm-hmm. and that's something. That's something that we need to appreciate. And having a quarterback developer in today's NFL is so important. And you know, he he called like a lot of a lot of play callers would have been they they would have they would have choked in the Super Bowl, man. But mm-hmm. Andy's done this for so long; he was ready for that game, and the, the game plan was solid, man. And um, you know, even the goal line play, you know. 
like ro- shift the Rose Bowl right parade. Yep. Like that was awesome, man. Yep. So I think Andy's play calling has to play a big role because we saw that pay off serious dividends for the last seven years, including the 2014 season when they didn't have a receiver catch a touchdown and they still <laughs> went nine and seven. Right. How crazy is that? Like yeah. people do not understand how like nuts that was. Yeah. Like, his best receiver was like, and I'm not making light of it, you know, but you know, his best receiver was Dwayne Bowe. Yeah. Who was, who was not at his peak. Right. To be honest. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> wasn't wasn't there a play that year where he scored a touchdown and he was just like fighting for the last like couple yards and he got in and he scored a touchdown and got called back? Yes. On a penalty. <laughs> Andy Reid went nine and seven with one of the worst receiving courts I've ever seen. It was yeah. It was so bad. And like the next year, and he's like, yeah, yeah okay, yeah. It's Jeremy yeah. Macklin. Like, yeah. 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 <laughs> he just immediately right. went and got Macklin. Like, right. it's so funny. Right. Um, so, yeah, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say Andy's play calling. And the fifth reason, and you, this is going to set you up nicely for picks six and seven. <laughs> okay. but, um, but I think it's Clark making a hard decision to fire John Dorsey and hire Brett Veach. Yeah. Um, Veach, Veach is res- widely respected as a scout across the league. Like people sure. say, hey, you know what? This guy's a really good scout, and he does have a vision. And there are some other things that he's done that's going to make this list. But again, none of them are possible without making Brett Veach the general manager. Um, I'm sorry, I totally agree with you, but I got distracted because I looked up the 2014 Chiefs. And... <laughs> you can't help it. I know, man. <laughs> um, I just you gave know? you a column. Did you know that other than Dwayne Bowe, uh, Anthony Fasano had more catches than any other receiver? I believe that because Kelsey wasn't Kelsey yet. Yeah, and Donnie Avery was hurt all year. Oh then it was like God. then it was like Albert Wilson. I was like, oh, Albert Wilson. Yeah, like <laughs> I oh we were like, God. hey, Albert Wilson can play some fish. <laughs> he oh was the God. savior, man. I know. Yeah, it was. Uh, that, I mean, it was. But he, you know, what he did have though was peak Jamal. For sure, he, he yep. used the hell out of him. He had peak Jamal, and he yep. used the hell out of him. Yep. I don't know if that was peak peak Jamal. The, tw- the the Jamal that scored four touchdowns against the Raiders on like screens was that's 2013. That might yeah, have been that, Jamal yeah, when, at his peak. When <laughs> when Alex Smith apex. Alex Smith had a 158 point to a perfect quarterback rating, <laughs> throwing nothing but screen passes. It that was, was great. It was, was just the uh, it was uh, the apex of Andy play call. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, so I had on my list here. I had um, Andy's constant reinvention, um, but I'm, I'm gonna. I, yeah. I think that should should fall under your play calling thing. Um, yeah. But I just I love the way that, and it, it is included in play calls. But it's just he doesn't do one single freaking thing now just because he did it a year ago. It's just constant right. analysis about Evolution. what's what's going to work. Yeah, it's, it's great. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so I'm gonna go with. I've got two here. Um, I'm gonna go with. <laughs> There's a lot of Andy, but I think there probably should be. But his like sort of steadiness, um, oh. and and his his, I guess people would would put this under leadership, right? But I think about a team that was one and five and lost Jamal, and yeah. and rallied to win, not not just win a play, get yeah. in the playoffs, but win the first playoff. Yeah, Sam, game, I remember that. You, you know, guys in 25. Years. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. I got it. Was was that when was it one and five when when the, the whole press conference was you and Andy? It was me and Andy. Andy was like, all right, yeah, so we're looking forward to it. And was DJ not there? 
<laughs> BJ might have been there, but okay. actually he might have been inside. I don't remember, but he was like, yeah. <laughs> he was like, yeah, looking forward to the challenge of facing <laughs> Minnesota Vikings. Yeah, good football team, Todd George. And he just turned yeah. and looked right at me. <laughs> yeah, it was great. <laughs> That is fantastic. Uh, but I mean, just the, uh, the belief, like I remember Dustin Colquitt, he articulated this the best. There's other people that have said the similar message, but just that, you know, cause it was the year before that they were nine and oh, right. Um, in 2013. So that wouldn't have been the year before, but in 2013, when they were nine and oh, you know, Dustin just said like his message at nine and oh was the exact same as it was at one and five. And, and I think that that stuff just matters, you know, like, I think that you have to have a certain, you know, confidence and, you know, stability to be able to pull that off. Cause you know, when, when people start worrying about their, their employment and their jobs and, and, you know, you can keep going to, to legacy and how you remember it. I mean, there's a lot of egos, uh, you know, you, you can start throwing people under the bus. You can start panicking a little bit. You can start cutting corners and, you know, he never did that. Obviously, I mean, if he would have, then we wouldn't we wouldn't see what we have here. So, I'm going to go with, and I'm glad that you you did what you did with with Brad. I do think that that was, you know, obviously needed. Yeah, uh, God, if you take what I go ahead, Dorsey uh, deepening the roster. Oh, yeah. yeah. Right. I got. I had so, that. I had that. That's that's the next one for you. Yeah. Yeah. Really? Okay. This go is ahead. Where I'm going? Well, because when in 2012. You know, most people listen to this probably remember, but, um, you know, that was just a disaster team, 2-14, and 14, but they had six pro bowlers. And, and they had, like, and, and it wasn't six pro bowlers, like, oh, you make the pro bowl, that doesn't mean anything. And they, they were good players. I mean, it was, you know, they had oh, yeah. Eric Berry, and they had, you know, Justin Houston. And, yeah, they had, they had some studs. Let me, let me interject real quick. The Chiefs' 2013 defense is, like, really good. If you, like, look at that defense, that depth chart, you're like, oh, my God. That's the only reason they won. Yeah, yeah. But dude, seriously, man, they had Dontari Poe in his prime, Houston mm-hmm. in his prime, Eric Berry in his prime, Brandon Flowers, Sean Smith, Tomba, Derek Johnson, Allen Bailey. It was a really, really – Mike DeVito. The defense yeah. was dope that year. Yes, Sean Smith was good that year. Yeah, they, 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 had, a lot of, they had a lot of talent. Um, and, and, but um, – so my point is that the, the roster that they inherited – had some studs, but mm-hmm. you know, at roster spots, whatever, like 10 through 53 or eight through 53 or however you want to do it was just mm-hmm. so far behind. And, and they got, they really lengthened that roster. And, and a lot of it was getting Alex. A lot of it was, um, what was the second round pick, right? That they gave up, you know, a lot of it was bad, but you know, they also, yeah, they drafted well. Um, it was just, it started to look like more, um, yeah. like when NFL roster should be. Uh, but just gave them, <laughs> gave them, uh, you know, kind of a platform. So those are my two. I'm gonna buoy yours because I actually have that down here for one of them. Um, <laughs> I was, it was gonna be like just everything Dorsey did before Veach took over, right? We have to respect that because sure. he drafted Travis Kelsey. He took Travis. He took Tyreek Hill. Yeah, that was not an easy pick. Yeah, people were not happy about that pick. <laughs> Correct. And that was his pick. Yeah. Um, you know, Tyreek Hill, it's a Schwartz, right? He drafted Kelsey, Duvernay mm-hmm. Tardis, Eric Fisher, Chris Jones, you know, Tano Passigno. You can go right down the line. He traded for Alex Smith. Like, let's give that man his flowers and his respect for what he helped do here. He, You know, yeah. he got fired for certain reasons, management style, all that. But 
no doubt when the man devotes his time to, to evaluating players, he can do that. Yep. So I'm just going to yeah. amplify that point. Right. Um, here are my next two. And this is one you're going to be mad at yourself for not being able to. <laughs> but Andy Fire and Bob Sutton. Yep. And hiring <laughs> Steve Spagnolo. Like that next pick. Because they could have won it two years ago. I know. Steve Spagnolo been the defensive coordinator, okay? I Do we not talk about that enough? <laughs> Maybe. I mean, it doesn't yeah. matter because they got their ring. I'm just saying, yeah. like, you know, listen, that defense two years ago was a nightmare. And. Mm. Andy didn't just, like, fix it by fire and sudden. Who's a very nice man. Mm-hmm. And did, and it's so nice, you even were allowed to, like, fire off one of the coldest jokes I've ever seen <laughs> at a press conference. Dude, like, I did not mean to say What did, What happened? Tell the story again. Oh, yeah, so he said, um, God dang. Yeah, um, I forgot exactly what we were talking about, but um, I asked him some question that had, like, a little bit of a, an opinion in it, you know, about like somebody being a good player or, you know, something like that. And, and he said, he looked at me and, um, and I, I can't agree with you more about him being a really good man. He is a really and, nice man. And, and taught like, me a lot about football, by the way. Absolutely. He would, he would really explain stuff to you. So yeah, he, he would, he would go above and beyond to, to help with that. I mean, you could tell he just wanted people to, to love the game like he did. Right. And look, he knew at that point that I didn't think he ha- should have the job. <laughs> and, you know, but he was, he was a total pro about it. And he said something oh, he like, was incredible. He said something like, um, you know, you and I think a lot alike. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> And and I said I said I meant to say that's bad for you, but oh, what came out was sure you did. <laughs> that's sure bad you did. for me, <laughs> and it was just this like no, no you said ooh I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> oh oh no no I, there was another there was another moment later with uh, with the enemy um, that was last year. Uh, I don't know if you were in the room or not, but no. we we were asking about Patrick like when when his kneecap went sideways. And um, and he said, you know, I'm sure, like, you know, Coach Reed, he'll get that to you. And I was just like, yeah, right. <laughs> you know, like, I'm sure he will. And I didn't. Like, it just came out. It just like, I didn't. And I, I listened back on the tape, and I was like, yeah, I'm sure he will. I was like, that was a lot louder than I meant it to be. You were like, and like the whole room just died. You just yeah. played everybody. He was like, yeah, you guys know yeah. Coach Reed. Coach yeah. Reed to get yeah. that. Yeah, sure he will. Yeah. That was just. Epic yeah, as you yeah. as you mature into the just the lion of the star, just the voice <laughs> of the paper, just, and like you're just the guy that every like new official, every like new GM comes into town, like they have to just get your approval, otherwise you're just gonna cr- like it's coming, like it's totally coming. I cannot wait oh, for God. crusty fifty five year old Melly. It is gonna be <laughs> incredible. I mean, it's gonna be gonna Joe be- McGuff stuff. Yeah. I mean, it's, oh, I'm gonna have tuitions that I'm paying oh. by then. Yeah, I'm like, I'm gonna be done. We're <laughs> done with all this. There would totally be a lead. Like, you know, the thing about professional sports is that a lot of these guys always say the same things over and over again. <laughs> it's about what comes after all the talk. Like, you're just gonna be brutal. You're just gonna be so brutal to these guys. But go ahead. Uh, um. Is this the last pick? I kind of, I, I think. No, I'm... no. Okay, I got one more. Okay, I've got one more okay. too. And I'm going to say Vita's 2019 offseason. 
Yeah. Tyron Matthew and Frank Clark. Tyron Matthew. Oh my God. That guy is an incredible leader. I've never, yeah. I mean, here's the thing. He wasn't just like in charge of the room. He didn't just like run the locker room. He kind of like did it in such a way where he was always available for the media too, mm-hmm. which is like next level stuff. Cause then like you're just the entire voice mm-hmm. for the D and that's just something. I mean, you and I both know that's not that common that right. you have your best defensive leader be available all the time too. Like that, that what Badger did in 2019, all things considered was one of the most impressive defensive total efforts I've seen in this town. Cause I started covering this team. Yeah. Defensive. Like it was something. Um, yeah. obviously Frank Clark, Alex Okafor, Rashad Breland, Juan Thornhill, Derek Nottie, uh, Alex Oak, oh, Emmanuel Ogba. Getting rid of Justin Houston and Eric Berry. Now you could have won with him. I'm, you know, I'm not, but like that was a nicely, that was a tightrope that Veach had to walk, and he did. Mm-hmm. Like you can't win a Super Bowl without the 2019 offseason. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's a really good call. And then, um, and the draft is part of that too, right? And and yep. Juan Thornhill. I mean, they went. I just think about this constantly. Like their safeties were so garbage in 2018. Um, mm-hmm. Just so terrible, and mm-hmm. and I think they probably had. You'd have a better idea than um, than I would because you, you watch the other thirty one more than I do. But um, is, is there a better pair of safeties? Mm. All right, let's think. Pull up my notes. Looking at the Chiefs, look Thornhill and um, Matthews, pretty strong. It's pretty damn um, good. Yeah. I'll tell you this: Chiefs fans won't like this, but I think the Chiefs safeties are better. But Justin Simmons and Kareem Jackson's close. Yeah, yeah. Kareem Jackson's a lot better than people think. Kareem Jackson's the boss. Mm-hmm. Um, Earl Thomas is really kind of like the guy in Baltimore. That's not quite enough. Oh, uh, well, Chung wasn't that good this year, but McCourty's fantastic in New England. Mm-hmm. This is way more than you need, but I, you know, I'm a dork, so just deal with it. <laughs> uh, Giant, no, wouldn't say that. Philly secondary wasn't getting the job done. Chicago, no. Eddie Jackson's outstanding. Eddie Jackson got the cosign from Ed Reed when I talked to him. Um, he said he's going to be. Um, he said, I think he said he thinks he's the best safety in football or something. Like if Ed Reed tells me that, that's gonna. Oh, yeah. here you go. Minnesota's Harrison Smith and Anthony Harris. Yes, that's. that's Right on par. That is mm-hmm. outstanding. I mean, they, you know, because both those guys are, you know, really, really, really strong players. Oh, San Francisco's pretty strong too. With Jimmy Ward and Jaquiski Tart. You know, that's a good. Yeah. That's a nice little uh, duo. But uh, aside from that, it's probably. The, I mean, look, it's right there with San Francisco and Denver, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right, man. If I got one more pick, I've got uh, I've got two that I'm thinking about, but I'm going to go with this in, in part because I don't feel like people think about this much. But there was a time that Travis Kelsey was, you know, wow. there was a lot of pessimism. Um, yeah. Or I guess I should say a lot of yeah, a lot of questions about him in that 2013 season where he basically didn't play at all, and and there were questions inside that organization in real time about yeah. you know, does this guy want to play? Um, how hard is he working to get on the field? Are the questions that we heard about him out of Cincinnati in the draft, like should we have thought more about how important this all is to him and, and, and how much he's going to be a part of what we're doing? And, uh, you know, obviously he's come on 
you know, incredibly strong. And, and we kind of take it for granted, you know, like it's, it's, it's four straight seasons with, um, you know, a thousand yards, actually five straight. Um, no, that's not right. I'm sorry. Yeah. Four straight seasons with a thousand yards. And he, I mean, he's on a hall of fame track and, and we take he that is. for granted, but there was a, he's there was a fork it, in the road there. Yeah. No, he's going to make know. it one day. Like the Super Bowl was huge for him and Badger. By for the sure. way, both those guys making all decade basically makes it, pretty locked in they're gonna make it one day um i think so too yeah that, you're making all yeah. decade is massive you guys have no idea how huge that is him and kelsey like, Kelsey's gonna make the hall of fame one day because of this now i was a little surprised that that tyron made it not because he doesn't deserve it just because of like it just seemed like you know with the pro bowl stuff and uh, i know he got all pro but it just seemed like he wasn't being you know the, the awards weren't coming to him in that way um, and, and maybe I'm thinking too much about the Pro Bowl stuff because that shouldn't matter because he did and he did make all pro. But um, you know that that was a really that kind of opened my eyes like okay cool like he he's getting the respect that he that he has. I, he was the second best player on that team last year. I think he he was he yeah was no absolutely. And here's what I'll say, um, you know Stephon Gilmore didn't make all decade. This was right. defensive player of the year from 2019, right. Right? right? So that tells you like the voters and it was the Hall of Fame voters. Um, they they were looking at those DB spots as kind of like a jack of all trades kind of deal instead of yeah. just taking like the next best corner or whatever. Yeah. And I think if that's how you're gonna vote, it's clear like it's Chris Harris Jr. is like a slot guy, and it's Matthew too, right? Mm-hmm. So that that's a pretty big deal. But don't underestimate how big that is because <laughs> we're gonna be voting on the Hall of Fame in ten years, and you know Gilmore's not gonna have all decades to his name, and that's a yep. big deal. Yeah. Yeah, you're going to be voting on Hall of Fame in ten years. <laughs> we'll yeah. see. It might. It might not yeah. just be me. We'll yeah. see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, that was that. That was really cool to see. But anyway, man, I appreciate you doing this. Good to hear your voice. Yeah, likewise, man. Anytime, uh, you know. That. Okay. See you, buddy. Okay, that's the show. Thanks a lot, you guys, for listening. I really appreciate. Um, each and every one of you that, that's been listening along with us as we grow and try and figure this thing out. A special thanks to everybody that sent in a question, uh, including those we, we didn't have time for uh, this week. We might get to those in the future. Obviously, special thanks for Therese for stopping by. It's good to talk with him always. And a big special thanks to Savannah Smith, who this week did, I'm going to say, 94.6% of the work. So anyway, hope to talk to you guys again next week and uh, have a good weekend. Okay.